Some of you will know the name Juan Carlos Ortiz. He was a fairly well-known uh, missionary and pastor in Argentina. And one day, one of his church members came to him and said, Dr. Ortiz, I uh, would love to have you come to my jewelry shop tomorrow. And Dr. Ortiz said, I can't come tomorrow. He said, come next week. He said, actually, all next week is booked for me. I'm sorry. And he, and he said, Dr. Ortiz, uh, my business is facing bankruptcy. I would love to have you come to my shop. You can buy anything in my shop at cost. It would be very helpful to have you come. Dr. Ortiz said, I'm just so busy this time of year. I'm sorry, I can't come. Finally, the jeweler said, I tell you what. How about tomorrow, uh, I could get up early and I come to your office before you come in and lay out all my stuff and then you can just pick whatever you want and, and buy that at cost. And, you know, what could Dr. Ortiz say? So finally he said, sure, okay. Well, the next day, Juan Carlos is walking across the parking lot from the car with his wife, Martha, and uh, Martha says, Juan Carlos, you know what day it is today? And he says, of course. Uh, uh, what's on your mind? And she said, well, today is our anniversary. And he it stopped him for a second, but without missing a beat, he said, Martha, would I forget our anniversary, please? I want you to come to my office and see what I've laid out for you, and anything you want, you can pick. And then he said, thank you, Jesus. Okay. God is good to us, and uh, this is one of those seasons where we're just dive deep into appreciation for all the many gifts that he's given us. Today, we have a text of scripture uh, in Luke chapter six, verses 20 through 38, that calls us to live a life that becomes possible when God is born into our lives. And I'd love to read it for you. I'm, I'm seeing some of you holding it. It's great. Uh, please follow along. It's a little longer, so let's not all read it together. But listen carefully as I read. And uh, when I'm done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it or are coming to believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're hearing God's holy words, the words of Jesus. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, uh, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. But I say to you, that listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Uh, if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love 
your enemies. Uh, do good and, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you'll be children of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. I read that and I, I feel like I'm getting simplicity and clarity already. Those are hard words, but really inviting. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ, you spoke these words in the first century. We pray now that through your Holy Spirit, you would speak your word to each of us in your own way to right where we are, that we might hear it and experience your embrace. Pray in Christ's name, amen. Uh, Jesus has three lessons for us in, in this teaching this morning, and I want to just share them very simply with you. The first one is this, don't miss what really matters. Don't miss what really matters. Now, there's a surprise in this text. It's easy to miss what Jesus is talking about. When Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor, and woe to you who are rich, he's flipping us on our heads, isn't he? I, I mean... Which one of us in this room or who in the culture wouldn't automatically assume that the people who are rich, the people who are full, the people who are laughing aren't the people that are blessed, right? That's just what we assume. These are the people that are truly happy and blessed. But Jesus says, not so much when you look through my eyes. And if we believe that, that the rich people are the blessed people, and we live as though that were the case in our own lives, Jesus is suggesting you are missing something. You are missing everything. Ann Wells came across a department store package in the bottom drawer of the dresser of her sister's bureau. She was in the room with her sister's husband and she pulled out this package and opened it up and through this beautifully wrapped um, tissue paper, she found a necklace. And she pulled it out and her sister's husband said, oh yeah, uh, Jan bought this the first time we went to New York, at least eight or nine years ago. She never wore it. Uh, she was saving it for a special occasion. Well, I guess this is the occasion. He took the necklace and put it on the bed with the other clothes that they were taking to the mortician. And then the husband turned to Anne and said, don't ever save anything for a special occasion. Every day you're alive is a special occasion. It's so easy to miss that. It's so easy to miss what really matters. Uh, Christmas is a special occasion, <clears throat> but what do we do with it? As a nation, experts tell us we're about to spend $1 trillion shopping. Most of us, apparently, on average, will spend $920 Christmas shopping. What's so interesting to me about that is that 
60% of us in America cannot cover an unexpected $1,000 debt, <laughs> yet we're about to lay out 920 on Christmas trinkets. We're going to use 42 hours of our time on these gifts, shopping, wrapping, exchanging. We're going to create 25 million tons of extra waste, just the trash alone. And so the question that I'm asking myself in the face of this is, what if we gave up some of our shopping time and used it to serve? What if just a fraction of all of that energy and resource went towards serving instead of shopping? Just a fraction of my own time. See, Jesus is telling us what really matters, what makes life rich in this passage. And, and you get it just by looking at the verbs, right? Love, bless, pray, give, do good, lend, be merciful, forgive. It's not about the stuff. It's about the people. It's about the relationships, the quality of, of relationship. And you know this. We, we all know that. It's not our stuff that makes us happy, but like we don't live as though we knew it. We miss what matters. Ann Wells discovered what mattered after she lost her sister and it was too late. It wasn't about the necklace. It was about the neck. It was about the person. It was about having a deeper connection with her sister. It was about serving her. Those who know Jesus know that this is what Jesus is all about. This is what Jesus, this is who he is. I mean, just think about the story that's the occasion for, for all of this. It's a, it's a baby that's born, a little baby that's born into poverty. Yes, he's a king, but he rules in this simple, silent, quiet, utterly unnoticeable way. You just have to, you just have to slow everything within you down to even notice the beauty and the mystery of what's happening. Jesus comes not to be served, but to serve. This is what he tells us in the Gospels. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's who he is. And that's who he's calling us to be if we would follow him. I just wonder, what, what if we did that this Christmas? What if we put serving over shopping? Just take some of the time that you would use online or standing in line, maybe in a traffic jam, and don't do it. And repurpose that time for something else to, I don't know, empty the dishwasher, maybe to cook a meal for a neighbor, maybe to fix a sink for someone or visit an elderly person or go pray with somebody who's sick in a hospital or locked at home somewhere. Don't miss what really matters. Okay, that's the first lesson that Jesus points us to. Don't miss what really matters. Here's the second. When life is hard, you have a choice. When life is hard, you have a choice. Now, if we look at this passage, verse 17 of chapter six, I didn't read it for you, but it's the setup. Uh, we learn that there are a bunch of people who are here. This is what Luke calls a great crowd uh, that, are, that are gathered here. This is what's called oftentimes the Sermon on the Plain because it's very similar to what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. And here Luke tells us Jesus was in a level place. So this is the Sermon on the Plain. But, it, but, but Luke tells us who's there. It's a great crowd. 
And in the crowd, he says, there are many who are sick, many who are troubled by spirits, and of course, many who are poor. Jesus says that, you're poor, you're hungry, and you're weeping. There's a lot of reality. There's a lot of pain in, in this crowd. And yet, what does Jesus talk about? He talks about blessedness. He talks about happiness. Actually, the the word that's translated blessed, it's a coin toss between blessed and happy. He uses the Greek word for happiness. He's saying happy are you when you are poor. Now, this is almost outrageous for us. It feels so very wrong to say that to these people at that moment. Just hold on a second. What is Jesus suggesting? This word, blessed or happy, in classical Greek was originally used to describe the untroubled state of the gods. And then over time, it was used of wealthy people to describe uh, those who are without care. They're free from care because they have so much money. Now Jesus is using it in a very different way, as I say, flipping it on its head. And scholars tell us he's using it here to to communicate a divinely given state of salvation, something in your head that reflects God's work of salvation. And he's saying this, happy, divinely given state of salvation, happy are you who are poor. What does he mean? It's important for you to hear this. He does not mean that poverty is good. Not at all. Poverty is not a good thing. And Jesus knows that. He's also not saying that wealth is, is bad. He's, he's not saying that. You get that if you read the wider gospel of, of Luke. But what he's saying is that there exists a happiness, okay, that doesn't come from wealth. There is a happiness that doesn't come from wealth. And this happiness is such that it can't be taken away by poverty either. Jesus is saying this is a real thing. This kind of happiness. You may not be able to change your circumstances, but we can change something that matters more, and that is our focus from our circumstances to something that brings a deeper happiness. Jesus is pointing us to this. Can't change everything. Sometimes you can make an important change. Reminded of a golfer who is looking kind of upset in the clubhouse, and his buddy said, hey, uh, what's wrong? And he said, oh, it's just terrible. On the 16th hole, I sliced one out on the freeway. Went through the windshield of a bus, and it was this horrible accident. The bus went out of control. Cars were piled up everywhere. And his friend said, oh, that's awful. What did you do? He said, well, I closed up my stance and shortened my backswing just a little, right? (laughs) It's not the choice I'm talking about today. The The choice is, to, to move from focusing on your circumstances and trying to pursue happiness in your circumstances to focusing on Jesus Christ and trying to pursue happiness, this happiness, this state of mind that comes from uh, salvation in him. And we do have that choice. We do have that choice. Everybody in this room has that choice, no matter what you're going through. And it's a, it's a choice that's illustrated, if you just give me a minute, between two people in the Bible, Uh, Solomon on the one hand and St. Paul on the other. Solomon, at least as Ecclesiastes imagines, we don't really know who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. It's in the Old Testament, but it's it's figured on Solomon. This is a a figure who pursues happiness in his circumstances. And he says, I I looked at it all. I tried it all. I've I've tasted all the luxuries that life has to offer. I pursued happiness in wisdom, in pleasure, in wealth, in work. 
All of these things. But essentially the message of the book, and it's really an important book to read, by the way. If you've never read Ecclesiastes, read it. He goes, all of these things without God end up being a dead end. There's no there there. And the refrain is vanity of vanities. All is vanity. It's sobering. And here, if you know the story of Solomon, it's a story of a guy who's constantly trying to manage his circumstances, trying to manipulate others, trying to get what he wants and needs to get, because we all need to be happy, out of others and out of circumstances, trying to yield them for himself, puts himself in the center of every situation. That's what happens. But there's another example in the New Testament, and this is uh, St. Paul, the apostle. St. Paul is not looking for happiness in his circumstances. He, of course, we all do, but he goes deeper than that. He's looking ultimately for happiness in Jesus Christ, no matter what his circumstance is. And he writes about this in the letter to the Philippians. Listen to what he says in Philippians chapter four. He says, I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty, okay? I can be poor, I can be wealthy. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret do tell, Paul, of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. See, there's a secret, he says. What is that secret? This is interesting. It's not that he's Pollyanna or just, what, what do you call it? You said something earlier, Jill, about false optimism. This is, this is not that, just, just empty positivity. He knows that life is hard. In fact, when he writes this letter, he's in jail, Okay? And, and yet the letter is described by many as the epistle of, of joy. Paul's a guy who knows that he can find happiness in Jesus. And he's found contentment when he's kicked to the curb and doesn't have a penny to his name. Or uh, he's found contentment when his pockets are full and he's on top of the world and he's found it in Jesus. Paul is probably one of the most educated brilliant, successful people of his day. But in essence, what he's saying to the Philippians is, you know, when I look at my resume and see all my achievements, when I look at my bank statement and see all of my wealth, whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Jesus. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. And I regard them as rubbish. By the way, that's for polite company, that word rubbish. It's really quite, he's saying it's all something else. And he's saying, but it's nothing that's wrong with that. But he's saying, like, when you, when you take all the pleasures that this world and circumstances can offer you on one side of the scale, and you put true happiness, authentic joy on the other, found in Jesus Christ on the other side of the scale, so I take Jesus any day of the week. I, I just regard all of this as almost like it's nothing compared to this. Jesus offers us true happiness. And no matter how life, how hard life gets, we always have the choice to focus on him. Epictetus, the Greek philosopher, says you can always control your focus, right? Uh, he says people are disturbed not by things, but by the view which they take of them. It's how you hold them. It's how you look at them. It's how you see them. I have a friend from India named Dalip, Dalip Timothy. Uh, I love Dalip. I met him when I was just out of college, a young adult, and he charmed me. He was one of the most joyful people I ever met, this Indian man. 
uh, very thin, uh, very lively. Uh, I, I watched Dilip over the years go through the highs and lows of life, uh, um, an ec- uh, economic degree from Harvard, advanced degree from Harvard, started his own business, um, very successful building custom homes, high-end homes in D.C., uh, but I also watched him go through a devastating divorce, watched him lose his business uh, to bankruptcy and an economic downturn. And I said, the leap, ha- the, the, the joy continued. The joy, it was just always there. And I said, explain this to me. It was kind of an enigma. I was young in my faith. What is that? And he looked at me and said, George, I came to this country with nothing but a shirt on my back. And if I go back, it doesn't matter to me. And I realized after the fact, it's not quite true. He came not only with a shirt on his back, he also came with the living Jesus Christ in his soul. He came with a faith in Jesus Christ. And it was that faith that allowed him to constantly look to a source of happiness in the midst of even great pain. And it it was Jesus who who gave him uh, an ebullient countenance when he lost a long battle to cancer and Jesus took him home. But all the way through, there was a witness to joy and true happiness in Dalit. I feel like that's real. I've experienced it in my own life. And many of you have experienced it as well. In fact, if you came to our Thanksgiving Eve service Wednesday night, it was just so delightful. At one point, we passed around microphones and people just gave these really brief testimonies. And yeah, we heard stories of failed businesses and strained relationships and really troubling diagnoses. But in so many cases, people were saying, uh, I have, I have a, a joy and a gratitude even in this moment that's just greater than the pain. That's real. That's what Jesus is pointing to when he speaks of the happiness or the blessedness of the poor uh, or, or of those who are hungry or of those who are weeping. Notice, he's not saying you will be happy. He's saying, blessed are you who are poor. By the way, he's talking to followers of Jesus. That's why he says you. These are disciples of Jesus, Luke tells us. He said, blessed are you. He's talking to people who would be persecuted for the name of Jesus. He knows who's listening to him in that moment. And it's an invitation for us to listen to him and to shift our focus. For me, I think it should be liberating, actually, to hear Jesus say that you don't have to be rich or full or laughing to be blessed or happy in life. You just need me. And I will give you a divinely given state of salvation. Don't miss what really matters. When life is hard, you have a choice. If you could take one more, I'll share a third lesson. And it's this, true comfort comes from good news. True comfort comes from good news. Talking about the good news that we celebrate at Christmas time, and it comes to the poor, and it comes in the simplest of ways. Have you ever thought about that, what that means? That the good news was first announced to, I don't know, a 13 or a 14-year-old girl in crisis, living in a dusty backwater town that nobody really knew or liked called Nazareth. The good news next came to angels, from angels to shepherds who were um, grimy, dirty, poor, homeless, vagrants, essentially. What does that tell us? Maybe it's because the poor have the greatest need among us in so many ways, right? And God cares for 
for those of us in need. But the greatest of needs is spiritual poverty. The Bible teaches that. And maybe the good news comes first to the poor because we need to understand that true comfort only comes when we realize how desperate we are, how poor we are, spiritually speaking. Two neighbors visited a neighborhood sometime back that was around the church. It's part of town that had dilapidated houses and old trailers. These two visitors were visiting a single mother whose relationships with men had been toxic and who had left her poor, bitter, and struggling to raise her children by herself. These two visitors sat down with her and talked with her about the glad tidings, about the good news of Jesus, and she received it with, with joy. She said yes to Jesus. She put her trust in Jesus. A week later, one of the two visitors returned to this home and the, the woman, and they were disappointed to see that the joy had, had, had gone. And uh, when they said, what's wrong? Tears came down her face, and she described what had happened, she had called her older sister on the phone and had um, told her with excitement about her new faith in Jesus, but her older sister just ridiculed her. Apparently, the older sister said, you mean to tell me that those two told you that someone who's like you, who's done all the foolish and immoral things you've done all your life, can all of a sudden, in five minutes, turn to Jesus and be saved just by believing? You don't have to live a good life? And now, they tell you, you're going to heaven. Well, pff, that's ridiculous. That's offensive. I don't believe it, and you shouldn't either. Apparently, the simplicity of God's grace offended the older sister's sense of pride. If there were salvation, her older sister must be thinking that it would have to be an accomplishment for a life well-lived. It would have to be a reward for good deeds, and, and this notion that this woman, who was so poor in so many ways, could be saved just seemed offensive to her. Well, this visitors, again, opened the Bible and shared the Christmas story with her, shared with her that God was born into absolute destitution and need born into poverty and came into the most simple of situations precisely because that's where we all are, spiritually speaking, before a good and holy God. We, we are all desperate. And God is born into desperation to make it clear that we don't earn our salvation. It's a gift. Good news gave this woman true comfort. And you could see the joy returning to her face as they talked. Here's the thing about that sister. She shows us, I think, how hard it is to receive this comfort. I mean, if the poor have a way of reminding us of how we receive God's grace, the sister reminds me of how hard it is to receive comfort. And Jesus gives this warning in verse 24. He says, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. That word consolation is the same word for comfort. You've already received your comfort, and it's so easy in our wealth as Americans to... Uh, be blinded to our need to not be poor in spirit. As Tim Keller says, well, I want to be middle class in spirit. You know, a little help from God would be good, but I'm mostly going to count on myself and my own means. And that's, that's a, a sickness that's particular to wealthy people. And so this voice of the sister 
I think is inside each of us. There's something in me that constantly says to me, you're, you're a failure, you're a loser, you're incompetent, you're unworthy, you're unloved, you're unlovable. Maybe even the words that Jesus used in verse 35, you're ungrateful and you're wicked. We hear these voices. And if you're like me and hearing these voices at any time in your head, you're not gonna be able to quiet that voice by shouting it down or by ignoring it. Because there's truth to some of it, that we have lived lives that are unworthy. We are truly poor and spiritually bankrupt before God. The only way to dial down that voice is to hear the good news, is to dial up the good news of God in Jesus Christ. A God who through the voice of angels once said, do not be afraid for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all people. To you is born this day in the city of David, a savior. True comfort comes from good news. So let's cut through the craze this holiday season. Let's hear that. Let's connect with that. I wonder what you can do to dial all the craze back and to connect what really matters this Christmas season. I wanna invite you to think about that, to discover that the season's really not about what you do or don't do. It's about what God has done and just resting in that. May I invite you, loved ones, to make this such a simple Christmas this year. May I invite you to put yourself in that woman's dilapidated house, even if for just a moment? Would you just imagine yourself sitting on her couch uh, beside her? You know, I don't know your situation, but I know you're going through something. And I believe that you're likely to hear the elder sister voices in your head. So would you sit there in your loss? Would you sit there with her in your loneliness, in your experience of lovelessness, in your addiction, in your diagnosis, in your betrayal, in your unbelief, sit there on that couch and know that every state of poverty can be a blessing, a state of blessedness with Jesus and the beginning of salvation. Would you sit there beside her in the authentic place you're in today and hear what your Savior says on the Sermon on the Plain when he says the Most High is kind to the ungrateful, and the wicked, that's me, that's you. Would you be willing to hear him blessing the poor? Would you be willing to hear him blessing you? To hear the good news and to believe it. If you'll do that, then you'll sit right here in that woman's joy and her joy will be yours. And you can know maybe for the first time that you've been saved and that's true comfort. Let me close with the familiar words of a Christmas carol that speak of this comfort. Let nothing you dismay. Remember, Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would you break the hard places in our lives? Would you open us, our ears? Would you give us ears to hear, as you sometimes said, Jesus? That we would silence the voices that say, we're never enough, and hear the voice of heaven saying, behold, I bring you glad tidings of good news. Today to you is born a savior. And may we say with all that we are, yes to Jesus in his name, amen.